Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that Jesus said that he delights to give good gifts to his children and the gift of his spirit. And so we pray that we'd hear the voice of the Good Shepherd ringing in our hearts even as we hear your word this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you'll keep John 10 in front of you because uh, we're going to look at it uh, and go through the, lots of different parts, uh, even outside of what we read from John 10 verses 1 to 21. Uh, Marcus Nodder, uh, from whom I'm ripping off pretty much everything from this series, uh, tells a story about a friend of his who was a pastor, uh, and he wanted to get to know the people who were living in his parish, and so he uh, decided to go door, door knocking from, from door to door to, just to get to know the people uh, in his community. Um, but he decided to write to them beforehand to kind of let them know that he was coming, um, to share his, his mobile number uh, in case they wanted to get back to him and, and say thank you, but no thanks. Well, uh, here's a response that he got from uh, one of those people in a text message. Uh, Thank you for warning us in advance uh, of your possible visit to our house uh, to preach about your Sky Fairy. I'm sorry about your addiction to the evil that is religion, but appreciate that you're prepared to warn people before you knock on doors to spread your hatred. Please don't. Please avoid our house. He uh, decided to respond back to the text message and got into an exchange with this gentleman. And the second text that he wrote back went like this. That's the gentleman uh, who said, thanks, but no thanks. Can't have said that, didn't he? Uh, He said this in his next text. I was born Roman Catholic and forced to go to church every weekend. At Sunday school, the priest tried to make me... Uh, and then he describes things that really can't be mentioned in the house of God. Uh, the, the priest tried to make me blank. Uh, and then he says, I didn't go again. I realized, age 10, that this religion was evil, just like all religions. Now, you can hardly blame a guy like that for thinking that way about God and religion, given what he went through. Can you? Uh, c- can you blame him? Uh, surely not. Uh, And how many people are there in in the world today? How many people are there in Australia today who have come uh, to exactly the same conclusion as this guy did about religion and about God? Not because necessarily they've been through what that guy went through, but because they've heard so many countless stories of people who've been through exactly what that guy had been through. Surely it's no wonder why so many people want nothing to do with God and nothing to do with the church. I mean, Who would want to have anything to do with a God like that? Church leaders are supposed to represent God, aren't they? And and, and so the question is, well, what is God like? Because if that's what he's like, I'd want nothing to do with him either. I'd feel exactly the same way as that man. But of course, that isn't what God is like. God is the complete opposite of that. God is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Not your life for mine, but my life for yours. You see, there are lots of bad shepherds out there, corrupt leaders, evil leaders. They they claim to represent God, but, but they don't represent God at all. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd. Remember the the title for this series is I Am, Jesus in His Own Words. If you want to know what God is like, you, you need to go to Jesus and you need to hear Him speak for Himself to find out what He's like. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
But what does that actually mean and how should we respond? Well, well, that's what we're going to unpack this morning. Firstly, by looking at the shepherd and then secondly, the sheep. That's where we're going and we're going to look at it in John chapter 10. So firstly, let's look at the shepherd. Uh, It was a common uh, occupation in first century Palestine. It was well known and it was actually became, uh, all throughout the scriptures, it became the image of leadership. That was the primary picture of, of what leadership should look like. And, and what kind of leader is Jesus? Well, he says he's a good one. I am the good shepherd. And so as the good shepherd, he loves the sheep. He cares for the sheep. He's tender. He's loving. He's kind. He guides them. He leads them. That's the kind of shepherd that Jesus is. But more than anything else, we see his goodness in John 10 verse 10. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. So uh, when he says for the sheep, it's in the sense of on behalf of the sheep. He, he lays down his life on behalf of the sheep. So he doesn't lay down his life as an example for the sheep to follow. No, he lays down his life on behalf of the sheep to rescue them from the danger that they're in. Uh, so uh, imagine a shepherd uh, with his sheep out in the fields and then suddenly he drops down everything, he runs to the edge of a cliff and he, he, he throws himself off the cliff shouting, this is how much I love you, sheepy. And he throws himself off the cliff and he plunges down to his death. How on earth does that show his love for the sheep? That kind of behaviour certainly shows you something about the shepherd, but I think the thing that it shows you is that he's a few sheep short in the top fat paddock, if you know what I mean. That doesn't show love for the sheep. But, but now imagine this. Imagine David, the, the shepherd boy, speaking to Saul in 1 Samuel 17. He says, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. That's the kind of scenario that Jesus is talking about when he says he's a good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Or or perhaps a modern example uh, from 2012, one of these uh, all too common uh, horrific mass shootings in uh, the US in 2012 where a gunman enters into a primary school uh, and one of the teachers, a young woman called Victoria Soto, She was only 27 years old and she sacrificed herself for the students in her class. So her final moments were spent ushering her children into a closet into her classroom as the gunman entered the room and gunned her down and she put her body in the way of the children to protect the children and she died in the process. She was found dead with bullets in her back, shot dead, huddled over some of these little children who were alive. She laid down her life for the children. That, that's the image of what Jesus says when he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So he didn't die primarily to give an example. He died primarily to rescue us from the danger that we're in. And, and so what is that danger? Verse 21, have a look. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. See, the reason why so many people don't understand why Jesus had to die is because they don't understand the danger that they're in. 
They don't realize that there's a wolf coming. And, and Jesus knew about the wolf and he warned about the wolf because everyone one day is going to face the judgment seat of God. And they're in terrible danger of eternal judgment before God as judge who will judge them for their sins. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed for people to die once and after that, to face judgment. But but Jesus, the good shepherd, he laid down his life to bear that judgment, sin and death on the cross, to face the wolf of death and be torn apart by it on the cross on our behalf. He laid down his life for the sheep, for our wandering away and going our own way. And so in Isaiah 53 verse 6, it says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his or her own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the good shepherd. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, that the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember who can cease to sing his praise. He shall never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Do you know that one? See the love of the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And so what is your picture of God? Do you have that picture of God as the good shepherd? Because, of course, the good shepherd is is the God shepherd. David says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, our first reading, we, we hear these words, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring them back. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. And isn't that exactly what we see the Lord Jesus doing throughout his life and ministry and most powerfully on the cross, dying in our place? In other words, if you want to know what God is like, you need to look to Jesus because the good shepherd is the God shepherd. And so whatever image that you have in your head of what God is like, we we, we need to make sure that that lines up with Jesus, the good shepherd. He's loving. He's tender. He's kind, he's healing, he's beautiful, he's both tough and tender. And so when we come across corrupt shepherds, corrupt leaders, people who claim to be acting in God's name but they're nothing like Jesus, we mustn't think that God is like that. He's nothing like that. In fact, he's the exact opposite. And in fact, in verse 12, Jesus warns us about them when he draws a contrast between what he's like and what he calls the hired hand. In verse 12, have a look. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. This is what a lot of the religious leaders were like in Jesus' day. And he wasn't afraid to call it out. They weren't in it for God. These religious leaders, they were in it for themselves. I mean, in plenty of contexts and societies, there's all kinds of prestige and power and and pay and position that you can get. And that's what these religious leaders were in it for. And that's why God rebukes them in Ezekiel 34. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. 
Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. And so there were corrupt leaders in the Old Testament times. There were corrupt leaders in Jesus' day and there are corrupt leaders today. Jesus warns us about them. They're leaders who are hired hands. They run at the first sign of danger. They leave the sheep vulnerable to attack and they're only in it for the money. He warns us about the hired hand. But then he also tells us in verse 8 about thieves and robbers or bandits. He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. And and throughout the history of the church, there's a a long and colourful history of thieves and robbers masquerading as church leaders, claiming to be the Messiah. Jesus even warned us in Matthew 25, verse 5, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they'll lead many astray. So Joseph Smith, he set up a cult called the Mormons. Charles Russell set up a cult called the Jehovah's Witnesses. And then less popularly, David Koresh set up a cult in Waco, Texas, where he abused women. He took them all to be his wives, and it all ended with 75 of them being killed in a gunfight with the police. I mean, there's no end of Messiah figures who are wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, and Jesus warns us about them to look out for them thousands of years ago and then thousands of years before in Ezekiel 34. Thieves and robbers. But then, of course, you have secular messiahs figures, people like Stalin or Hitler or Pol Pot or Mao Zedong who are trying to set up some kind of utopia, heaven on earth, and, and claiming to be some kind of messiah, and they slaughter millions of people in the process. So Jesus is exactly right. They kill, they kill, They steal and they destroy. And then you've got corrupt religious leaders, which of course is in the context of John chapter 9, where Jesus has just healed a a man born blind and done this incredible, compassionate, good shepherd-like thing with this man born blind. And the Pharisees, instead of celebrating this man, they end up berating him and banning him from the synagogue. These are the religious leaders of the day. They were false shepherds, corrupt So on the outside, they they looked really good. They looked really great. They looked moral and upright. They were model citizens, admirable, respectable. But that was just a really great cover for all of the evil and wickedness that was inside. That's exactly what Jesus says to them, actually, in Matthew 23, verse 28. He says, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so because Jesus warns us, we should expect there to be corrupt leaders, not just outside the church, but inside the church. I began with an example from the Roman Catholic Church, but we all know since the Royal Commission into Institutional Abuse that this is true in every denomination across all churches. Wolves in sheep's clothing. There are horror stories everywhere about Religious leaders who are driven by lust, but there are also ones who are driven by greed. You know, the whole phenomena, particularly in the US, of the the so-called TV evangelist, 
I don't, I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Jesse Duplantis in the last few years. He said that God was speaking to him and he spoke to his uh, followers uh, across the, the TV uh, channel that God was speaking to him, that he needed not money not just for one private jet, but he needed to raise money through his supporters for his fourth private jet worth $54 million. That's Jesse Duplantis. You, you can look him up. He's a real, real guy today. These are wolves in sheep's clothing, driven by lust and driven by greed. Jesus warned us about them. It's no wonder people become so cynical about the church, about evil, about the existence of goodness. But we shouldn't because Jesus warned us. He told us it would happen. And we should also realize that not all church leaders are like that. There are some who are good and faithful, sinful, yes, in need of God's grace, in need of prayer, but seeking to be good and faithful shepherds who model their lives on the Lord Jesus Christ and lay down their lives for the sheep. And so is it any wonder when the disciples in Acts chapter 1, after Judas has betrayed Jesus and they need to find another leader, that the leaders in looking for a new leader pray? They pray. They say, Lord, You alone know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these you've chosen. We can't see people's hearts, Lord, but you can, and you're the good shepherd, and we need you to provide one who's faithful. Is it any wonder why they pray when looking for a leader? Because there are lots of bad shepherds out there, but we mustn't make the mistake of thinking that God is like that, because God is not like that. He hates corruption. He hates this kind of evil and he promises that he will punish it severely. And so churches should be a place we are looking to root out that evil and expose it rather than to cover it up. That's the kind of place we need to be, exposing the wolves in sheep's clothing. But if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Look at the good shepherd. Look at his love. Look at his tenderness. Look how he stood up and spoke truth to power. Look at his self-sacrifice. And the question has to be, what do you make of him? He's the one we need to point people to. He's the one that we want people to respond to. And we see three responses to Jesus in the story. There's reject, inspect, and accept. Have a look. Firstly, there are those who reject Jesus. Look at verse 20. It says, Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is out of his mind. Why listen to him? Then verse 31, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Verse 39, then they tried to arrest him again. The first response is to reject. The second response is to inspect. Have a look at verse 21. Others were saying, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So, of course, if you want to know what Jesus is like, if you want to know what Christianity is about, don't listen to others. Don't get the secondhand source. You've got to go to the source firsthand. Come to Jesus. Look at Jesus. And if you don't know whether what he's like, let me encourage you to, to get one of the Bibles up at the back of the church. They're free. They're our gift to you. And come to Jesus and find out what he's like. Inspect him. Don't take others Word for it. The second response is to inspect and the third response is to accept. Have a look there at verse 42. It says, many believed in him there. 
And the fact is that we're, we're all sheep because we've all got to live for something. We've all got to aim somewhere. We've all got to invest in something. And so the question is, who are you going to follow? What, what are you going to aim at? And is what they're offering you, how does that compare to what Jesus has to offer? And, I, and that's what I want to look at with you for a bit, what it looks like to be one of his sheep. There are four privileges that we see of those who belong to Jesus. And the first one is identity. Because Jesus, in verses 26 and 27, he says twice, he calls them my sheep. They're my sheep. That is who we are. That's our identity. The first question of the Heidelberg Catechism from 500 years ago now is, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer, that we are not our own, but belong to God. He says, these are my sheep. And and he is much more passionate about his possessions than you are. I don't know what your most treasured possession is, but let me tell you, God is much more passionate about his possessions than you or I could ever be. He's very passionate about his sheep. And not only that, but he's very powerful and he loves to take care of them. That is who we are. And that brings incredible identity to who we are. Secondly, there's relationship Verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. So we're not talking about religion. We're talking about relationship, summarized perfectly in Psalm 23. Hear the relationship that David had. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all of my days, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is this religion? It's relationship. Well, thirdly, he gives life, verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. He rescues us from the wolf of judgment and death by bearing it in himself on the cross, rising to new life and pouring his spirit out, the spirit of life in us, that streams of living water and life would flow through us to others. The third privilege is life. And the final privilege, verse 28, is security. Do you find that there's so much insecurity in the world today? People are so insecure. And that's because they're building on on a foundation that they know deep down isn't actually secure. That they're following a shepherd they know that actually isn't that powerful and isn't particularly loving and doesn't actually have their best interests at heart. And that makes them feel terribly insecure. You know, as powerful as our blessed Queen Elizabeth II was, she entrusted her life into the hands of someone who was much, much more powerful than she. The one who said in verse 28, No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Jesus provides eternal security to his sheep. And so it's incredibly good to be one of his sheep. You get identity, relationship, life, security. This is what it looks like to live for the shepherd. 
so much kinder and more gracious than any other shepherd. So let me ask you, how do you join the fold? How do you know if you're one of his sheep and that you belong to him? Look at verse 4 with me. He says, his sheep follow him because they know his voice. You see, there are lots of voices out there in the society, aren't there, saying, come over here, follow me, do this, go this way, live for this, put your money into this. But the sheep don't follow. They only recognize his voice. In other words, they recognize his teaching. They follow his words. They love to hear his voice, the voice of the good shepherd. And they recognize that when he speaks, God speaks, and they love to hear his voice. And so if you're not sure if you're one of his sheep, or you're thinking about becoming one, a really great place to start is to get one of the Bibles, find one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and to hear the Good Shepherd and find that God is speaking to you as you listen to his voice. That's actually how people come to Christ. They, they hear his teaching and they listen to his voice and they say, I can hear God is speaking to me through these words. And they start to follow him. And the mark of a sheep is that they keep on listening and they keep on coming to the scriptures and hearing his voice and doing what he says. The other thing Jesus says about his sheep, verse 4, is that his sheep follow him. And that's what being a Christian is all about. It's about following Jesus, listening to him, learning from him, serving him, laying down your life for him and for others, even as he's laid down your life for us, becoming more and more like him as you follow in his ways. And so Jesus warned us, didn't he? He warned us about thieves and robbers in the church masquerading as shepherds, but actually being wolves in sheep's clothing, who use religion as a cloak for all kinds of greed and lust and evil. But here's the point. Don't judge God by them. And don't reject God because of them. In other words, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because those people don't speak for God. They're not like God and they're not listening to God. It's really important that we're able to discern these things. There are corrupt leaders and corrupt politicians everywhere, aren't there? But, but that doesn't mean we reject good politics or good government. There's actually counterfeit money out there in circulation in the world, but that doesn't mean we stop using cash. There are forged works of art everywhere. That, that doesn't mean that we shut down all of the art galleries. There was a famous French painter called Etienne Theroux. i never heard of him, but anyway. Uh, it was discovered that more than half of his collections of paintings were fakes or forgeries. They put some expert committee together and they confirmed that 82 out of the 140 works in this guy's gallery were not painted by him. They were fakes and forgeries. Uh, the article ended up saying that uh, at least 20% of paintings held by major art galleries are actually forgeries or fakes. Now, do you give up on art because of that? Of course, of course you don't. What do you do? You expose the fakes and you focus on the genuine. And so it is with Jesus. Focus on the good. Focus on the beautiful. Focus on Jesus, the one who said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd 
lays down his life for the sheep. Amen? Amen.